presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Kelly Caulfield, and I'm the executive director of the Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I am thrilled to introduce my special guest, Guy Benson. Many of you know Guy Benson. He is the political editor of townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. He also co-authored The End of Discussion in 2015, an updated edition of which was published by Random House more recently in 2017. He is a familiar voice on the nationally syndicated Hugh Hewitt radio show, which he regularly guest hosts and contributes to NPR's All Things Considered. I am excited to announce, as some of you know, Guy Benson will also be our keynote speaker at the third annual Free Enterprise Summit here at Empower Field at Mile High on December 12th. If you are listening and you haven't bought your tickets yet, please register today. In addition to hearing from Guy, at our event, we will be celebrating four award winners who truly represent the heart of free enterprise here in Colorado. We will also be unveiling Common Sense Institute's Competitiveness Index to help Coloradans understand why and how Colorado's economic performance is changing. The more competitive a state is, the more likely it is to deliver increasing economic performance, which produces higher living standards for its residents. Our index will be comprised of eight policy areas, including education, healthcare, housing, energy, public safety, taxes, among others. And in each policy area, Colorado will be ranked against the 49 other states and D.C. We can't wait to tell you more in December. As you can see, Guy, we are very interested in the data and the facts, and I know you are too. And we believe this index will make a difference. I am excited to give our listeners a preview of what they'll hear if they come to our summit and learn from your fascinating career and national perspective. I'm so happy you're here in our studio. Describe your current job at Fox News and your passion for delivering the facts to your national listeners. Okay, well, thanks for having me. It's very cool to be here. Can't wait to be back in December. Hopefully this podcast conversation will encourage more people to come rather than the opposite. But it's a good question because I wear a few different hats in my career. I have been now for years the political editor at townhall.com, as you mentioned. I've got a nationally syndicated radio show every day, which is syndicated through Fox News, The Guy Benson Show. People can find out about that if they'd like at guybensonshow.com. It becomes a podcast that's free every day as well. And then I appear on various TV side shows over the course of any given week. And it's not always the same schedule. It's not always the same shows. I end up on a hodgepodge. And it could be co-hosting for an hour in New York on the outnumbered couch. It could be participating in the wild roller coaster that is a Gutfeld panel uh, and late night TV. It could be just a quick three or four minute appearance on Dana Perino's show or what have you. So they definitely keep me busy. And I enjoy that because generally busy is good. And there are a lot of things to be talking about. Never a dull moment. I'm curious, as a part of the Guy Benson show... What keeps you motivated to do this work, and and what also keeps you up at night? What keeps me motivated is that I believe that ideas matter. I believe that America is special. I believe that values are important. And to have not just one platform, but multiple platforms to fight for a lot of those ideas absolutely is something that is a fire under me and really has been 
since I was a teenager, when I first started paying attention to politics, I realized I'm a huge sports fan. And I enjoy, you know, putting on the jersey and rooting for the team and you hope to win and you boo the other side. And early days, that's how I viewed politics as well. But then I realized 9-11 being a pretty significant inflection point in my life. I was in high school living in the New York area. It occurred to me in a very real way, oh, wait, this isn't just a red versus blue team sporting event. This matters. Who's in charge matters. Policy matters. And so to the extent that I have the privilege to make a living speaking up for what I believe is true and trying to influence the national conversation in a positive way, I mean, shame on me if I can't get motivated to do that on a regular – you need time away. You need to unplug your brain occasionally. The news cycles are nuts and they can be draining. But even after a vacation, I'm like, all right, get me behind the microphone. Get me behind the keyboard. Like I'm ready to go. And in terms of keeping me up at night, it kind of varies from time to time. I worry about the future as everyone does. Uh, I'm about to become a parent for the first time. And so that's keeping me up at night. I'm sure will literally keep me up at night for a while uh, when our son arrives. And I know this is recency bias and we're talking here in mid to late October. I have really, really been distressed by the situation in Israel and the degree to which there are a lot of people who are willing to not just openly but self-righteously declare their viewpoint that right is wrong and wrong is right. It's just wild. And you look at data, especially among the youngest Americans and young people in the West and where their sympathies lie and the degree to which propaganda and ignorance is extremely powerful and you think about how does this bode for our future if a gigantic disproven lie is able to take root in the span of a few hours, even if it's quickly debunked, and reshape a conversation around something really important. I just think that bodes poorly in a lot of ways. And, and how to combat that effectively is something that has been gnawing at me recently. I also loved how you said policy matters, ideas matter. We couldn't agree with you more here at Common Sense Institute. Our research is focused on data and the economic impact of issues. Our work elevated Colorado, sadly, as the number one auto theft state in the country. And policymakers listened. There was legislation enacted to help address that. Another issue, our fellows have elevated housing as a top-tier issue in the state because no one can afford to live here. It's hard for companies to attract top talent. Supply is not meeting the demand. Our research also in education demonstrated a gap in how the state is ensuring is not ensuring equitable transportation access to schools of choice. And as a result, the legislature is now studying that issue and identifying potential solutions. I want to shift to the national world that you cover. Can you describe a time in national news or politics when facts and data won the debate and not emotions? Unfortunately, it's a tough question because emotionalism wins a lot. It's the coin of the realm. Whoever can tug the heartstrings and be the most emotional often seems to get the most attention, the most coverage, and it often leads to at least some degree of success. I think for groups like this, like Common Sense, and just for a movement that believes in free enterprise, conservatives, whatever you want to describe yourself as, I think the sweet spot has to be where the good data and the good arguments align with emotionally impactful arguments. Because 
I would say that the opposition is extremely good at emotion. It's largely all that they traffic in far too often. And sometimes people with our worldview, broadly speaking, are so caught up in the numbers and the data, we seem like these pencil pushers who are out there making these arguments that don't necessarily hit people where they are, what their actual experience is, that moves them in some way. And I think when groups like Common Sense have success and and allied organizations, political parties, whatever it might be, when that success happens, it's when the data and the hard work and the information aligns with how people are feeling. For example, the Biden administration is losing the argument on inflation, and they can cherry pick certain numbers about how things are getting better. And the other side can say, well, actually, look, costs are up 17, 18% or whatever since Biden took office. The reason that the administration of the White House talking points about this little piece of data or that isn't flying is because people are feeling the cost of everything. And so when they hear correct empirical arguments from us, they say, yes, of course they're right because I see it at the gas pump. I see it when I'm buying food for my family every single day. It wasn't like this just a couple of years ago. Our memories aren't that short. So I think that's maybe one recent example of the other side of the fight losing and our side winning because though it is facts and data married with emotion and just resonance, resonance with people based on what stirs them and what they are literally seeing in their lives. You know, as you mentioned, free enterprise is centrally important to our organization, the Common Sense Institute. We are a nonprofit and we are nonpartisan. And we just turned 13 years a few weekends ago. Free enterprise is our focus, principles around greater economic um, activity in Colorado, economic mobility, that everyone here can prosper. What does free enterprise mean to you? And how do you see policy impacting this free enterprise system in the future? Free enterprise, to me, and I think, again, empirically, is the most successful economic system ever devised and the only moral economic system in existence that has pulled more people out of poverty than any other system ever and has vastly improved the quality of life of billions of people, despite what the detractors say, the detractors who, of course, often champion much, much worse systems that either don't work or outright fail or have long been associated with widespread human misery. It's amazing the high horse people get on championing ideas that have been proven catastrophic over and over again. Free enterprise is the exact opposite of that. I think that it's extremely important going back to something we just talked about a few moments ago. There's got to be a better way to market this success to younger people. Because again, the emotionalists tend to say, well, is it fair? Is all this freedom fair? Look at the suffering in the world How can that be happening if this is working? And we have all the data. I mean, all of the data on our side. How does that get translated in a way that cuts through and breaks through some of the misinformation and the spin that is ubiquitous? And some of that spin is coming naturally from inside the house, so to speak, people who have never liked free enterprise and would like our system to go in a different direction. Then, of course, it's also coming from without other regimes other 
countries that wield power over our social media footprint and the minds of people consuming that type of material, they would love to discredit our success for future generations. And it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen. Just this week at Common Sense Institute, we have over 10 bipartisan policy fellows tackling some of the most important issues here in Colorado. And just this week, we had our Terry J. Stevenson fellows. That's one of our endowed fellowships where we bring a Democrat and Republican together to tackle an issue really important to the state. And this year, it was focusing on a future energy vision and framework. This is the fourth year we've had this program of bringing two people together to tackle these important issues. And I'm curious, you know, you've been covering national news and politics for your career, including the divisiveness. What is at the heart of all of this bickering? And where do you see alignment and a potential ability for the parties to shake hands? Yeah, I, I feel like so much of it is just tribalism, where... It's tribalism almost for the sake of tribalism, where ideas or ideological red lines that I thought were absolutely sacrosanct, let's just talk about conservatives, they just sort of float away in the service of some broader fight that sometimes just feels incoherent to me. The the divisiveness comes from a lot of different sources. I think one of the sources, and I say this as someone who is in the media, is that we are living in this media environment that is a double-edged sword. On one hand, positive, very positive development in my view, is that the bad old days of three TV networks and one or two newspapers, and they just decided what the news was, right? And it was rare to get a dissenting opinion. The New York Times, maybe the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, that was just this top-down, here's the news environment and ecosystem, and I think that that was not healthy or great in some ways. Now there's this massive explosion of options for people, which is great, whether it's shows like mine or Fox News or whether it's certain podcasts that people like or certain blogs or websites that people write. It's like, oh, I love this person's Substack. Let me subscribe to that. That's all fabulous, with the exception of I think to an extent we are losing a shared understanding of facts and a shared culture in certain ways where people can just go to the ideological buffet or go to the news consumption buffet and say, I like this, that, and the other because they're tasty to me. I know I like these foods, and I'm only going to pay attention to that. And all this other stuff I just don't have time for. I'm not really interested. Uh, They're the opposition. And then the echo chambers that to some extent already existed, they calcify. They get a lot more potentially damaging because people like are almost living in parallel universes where they genuinely don't even know what the arguments are on the other side. They're not confronted with, they don't have to really grapple with those arguments on a regular basis the way that things used to be. So again, it's I'm glad that we were not in the previous environment, but I think people who want to be good civic participants and good citizens of this country, you have to guard against the human temptation to just silo yourself into a place that makes you feel warm and fuzzy and good about being so self-righteous and correct about everything. And obviously, it's a huge problem on the left as well, perhaps a bigger one. But when people don't come to an argument with even a shared basic understanding of facts, it can get extremely dicey to have constructive conversations and to move the ball because 
to some people in some of these silos, having those conversations is seen as a problem or a betrayal or something like, oh, well, why are you even talking to those people? Ew, a, a compromise means that obviously we're giving something up. Why are you betraying the cause or whatever? That is a mentality that gets cultivated and, and takes root in an environment like this one. And if you want to be, as I said, an informed, constructive citizen, that you have to almost force yourself to not fall into that trap and to to guard against it to the extent that's possible. I want to hear, give us some hope, though. Where are some examples of the tribalism, the fracturing of the, the news media? Where could the parties shake hands? Like, where do you see an opportunity? Is there a topic or two where maybe there's more alignment than misalignment? Yeah, I mean, you're starting to see in some areas a movement in a positive direction. So there has been, and this has been not fully partisan, it's been heavily partisan, but you're starting to see some Democrats coming along on, for example, the issue like a school choice initiative. School choice was something that a lot of people were pushing for a long time, hoping might get implemented somewhere. Let's try it in this state or that state. And it really felt like even in places where you would assume that type of idea would have currency and could pass easily with the majorities or the the makeup of the legislature. It just wouldn't get over the hump. And I think after what we all lived through in the pandemic and what happened to the kids in this country, what was done to them by adults making horrible decisions, flying in the face of science, and I think at some point what people understood intuitively is right for kids – It's like the dam has broken a little bit, and it was a few states, and now it's one after another. The dominoes have been falling, and in some of these states, it's only happening because the parties are coming together. And maybe it's not everything that everyone wants, but progress is absolutely being made. You're seeing certain governors uh, from both parties. A lot of Republicans have been reticent but supportive. They're getting more bold about this, and some Democrats are coming along as well. I think a lot of our problems in this country— trace back to education or lack thereof, ignorance, indoctrination. And I think the more that parents have additional control, the more options people have, the more we can turn around a system that needs some turning around, that would be a very hopeful thing. One of the other Common Sense Institute chapters in Arizona joins the states that have passed education savings accounts, which have been really interesting to watch. And we are learning here in the Colorado chapter with what's going well in terms of expanded school choice in Arizona. Arizona was a leader and has been. That was like early Governor Ducey that they've been really strong. We're trying to learn from them. I agree. It's been fun to watch that. Going back to research organizations like ours and thinking about in times of tribalism, tunnel vision, There's so many think tanks in Washington, D.C. We're a think tank here in Colorado. How can organizations like ours work to improve the accessibility and impact of our research? That's a great question because think tanks will put out white papers, and the white papers will then just float off into the ether and will be read by a very small number of people, if any. And look, sometimes it matters because if it's even three people who read it, but one of them actually matters and has influence, then you're getting a huge bang for your buck, right? So I am not criticizing white papers. But I think in order to reach a broader audience, you don't want to lose sight of your mission. You don't want to lose sight of why you exist. 
You don't want to be rushing around pandering for clicks and eyeballs. But, you know, there are things that groups like you are doing successfully to say like, oh, hey, you know, here's what we're doing over here and feeding relevant stories to the local press, for example. Oh, hey, Colorado just ranked last on auto thefts. That seems newsworthy, doesn't it? NBC Denver or Fox affiliate or what have you. And a journalist is going to say, that actually does seem like a good story. Let me pick that up. People are at home turning on the late local news and they see that. They're like, oh boy, I've seen some of the headlines. I didn't realize it was that bad. That can and apparently has spurred change. I also like the idea of potentially trying to engage intellectually, explicitly, with people who don't necessarily agree on everything, which is what you've done with this program of bringing people together to talk through whether it's energy or something else. I wonder sometimes if that can be done even at the organizational level, if there's some sort of counterpart that you guys have that might be more often the the leftward direction on some of this and and have interesting forums on that front and, and have identified people within the organizations who are kind of dynamic and interesting and engage that way, whether it's in person on radio here in Colorado. I'm sort of just spitballing, but I think it needs to be modeled. I think reasonable, rational disagreement and talking through issues based on data, that needs to be modeled more and more because it's not modeled a lot in Congress. It's not modeled a lot in the media. Someone has to do the there's a better way thing, even if it's tough, even if it's not sexy, even if it's not getting all the attention I think it's valuable unto itself. And Guy, I'm happy you said that Common Sense Institute is a part of a few different forums where a variety of research organizations in Colorado do come together. And that makes me want us to participate even more in those conversations. Great, great advice. You know, here at CSI, we believe in educating Coloradans on the issues that matter most. And in order to educate policymakers and deliver the facts... We must ensure Coloradans have greater transparency and understanding of the issues. For example, here at CSI, we just developed a pretty in-depth calculator that you can navigate to on our website to help Coloradans understand a pretty complex measure we have on our November ballot. It's called Proposition HH. And we think Coloradans must understand a problem before you can implement a solution. Looking beyond the elections this November in Colorado... We're seeing 2024 as the year of transparency because we want more Coloradans to understand hugely complex issues, housing, crime, education. So we're thinking through dashboards and other tools that we can use to educate Coloradans. How do you see national media framing and talking about these issues of transparency? And and do you have suggestions for leaders here in our state who really believe in the need for transparency to understand complex issues? Well, overall, my view on the news media is dim. And I know it's ironic because it's what I do for a living. But I think so much of the news media that holds itself out as nonpartisan and down the middle and just trying to get to the facts and truth to power and transparency and all of that, unfortunately, in my mind, far too many of them are either overtly or subconsciously partisan actors. They play on a team, they root for a team, they go easier on their team, and they go tougher on the other side and try to discredit. It's not a dispassionate or impartial coverage of almost anything. So I, I am not 
a great optimist on the media landscape at the moment in some respects. Uh, and I know that there's plenty of, of blame and criticism to go around there. But what I will often encourage people who are fed up and they see this the same way that I do, I encourage people to recognize there are good, smart, responsible, well-meaning people at virtually every news organization. And rather than writing off an entire network or newspaper or platform because sometimes for good reasons, yeah, you've, you don't trust them, try to figure out the individuals who you think are fair and have integrity and follow them and deal with them and say, hey, I've got a story. I don't really want to give it to your colleagues for various reasons, but I trust you. I think cultivating those types of relationships and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater completely is a good idea. And a lot of media is personality-driven these days, which is good and bad. But because often journalists now have an online platform, a social media footprint, you can kind of get a sense of who tries at least to be an honest broker and who doesn't. And then you can try to be selective in who, you know, if you like, okay, I want to make a list of people that I trust. It shouldn't be monolithically, oh, I like this entire place because of so-and-so, or this entire place has no credibility because of that other person. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And there are so many opportunities now to do vetting, like intellectual honesty vetting of people in the media and kind of choose person to person rather than outlet to outlet. It's great advice. More relationship building at the individual level, um, I think always makes such an incredible difference in all lines of work. Good advice, Guy. Thank you. I think really my last question here, I want to end with something we talked about at the beginning. Um, I'm the mom of two sons. You're about to welcome a son in, in the next month or so. Yeah. I'd, I'd just like to hear, you know, give me two or three, you know, hopes you have for the future that will be here for your son. Well, on a very zoomed in level, I just hope we can figure out what the hell we're doing. As parents, uh, never done this before. It's very scary to think about. It's exciting, but nerve wracking. And, you know, you think about what you would love your kid to end up as and I just hope he ends up being just a good person, a good kid, a good person. I know that's a broad, a broad concept, but you can see people who are super good looking or famous or crazy talented, very wealthy, and all of those things are great. But I hope the person is a good person and that we can help influence and nudge that to the extent that we can as parents. In terms of the culture that we're bringing this child into. I mean, there are a lot of things that are so concerning and upsetting out there. And you know, sometimes you might think to yourself, is this really, do I want to bring someone into the world? At least for me, I can't answer that question with a no. I can't, in good conscience, be an American living in the greatest country ever with more opportunity and prosperity than anyone has ever had as a nation in the history of the world and say, no, no, it's too bad, it's too sad these days. I think that's blinkered. I think that's too pessimistic. I think there are so many amazing things that this country has to offer. We need a lot of help. We need to preserve certain things. We need to get back on track. But still, there is so much that this place has to offer and so much that life has to offer. Life is such a beautiful thing. You know, check back with me in 18 years. <laughs> but for now, it's, it's a huge 
sometimes overwhelming feeling challenge, but it's one that I hope we're up for, and I guess we'll find out. You're going to be a wonderful father, Guy. Can't wait to watch it. I'm going to close out with a little lightning round, Uh and then I'll wrap up, because I personally find these fun. One word answers, if you can. Your favorite president, American president? Washington. Favorite D.C. restaurant? One of my favorite spots in Northern Virginia is called Peking Gourmet Inn. Absolutely fantastic Chinese restaurant. And it's like in this strip mall that you would drive past 100 times out of 100 and never guess the gem that is there. But it's fabulous. Someone in national politics who we might not know or have heard of but should start following. She's pretty prominent. She's fabulous. But if you haven't followed my best friend, Mary Catherine Ham, 100% endorse. Someone in D.C. or national politics who is surprisingly smart. Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. He kind of has this good old boy, southern folksy, joking way about him. He's got great one-liners and jokes. But if you dig into the substance of what he's actually saying and you look at his pedigree, the man is extremely bright and knows exactly what he's doing. I'm going to round it back to the West, perhaps. What's your favorite ski resort? I think the most fun that I've had was at Vail. I was hoping you were going to say it. Mine too. Thank you, Guy. Thank you for having fun with us. We appreciate your time today. I hope those listening will join us on December 12th to hear more about Guy Benson's thoughts on free enterprise, the importance of transparency, and why delivering the facts should matter to all of us. To learn more about CSI's research, please go to commonsenseinstituteco.org and register for our summit today. Thanks so much, Guy. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.